Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. Eye of the Cricket by James Salis, read by Ray Shell. We're in New Orleans in 1997. Lou Griffin is searching for a missing teenager, Sean Delaney, a search which, at a deeper level, reminds him how much he misses his own son, David, who left home and disappeared some years before. And his friend Don Walsh is also having problems with his son. Sunday went by, as I once read in some mystery or another, in a blaze of inaction. And Monday, the license number I scribbled down as the black Honda pulled away got me nowhere, though it did get me a free lunch. Stolen, Don had said on the phone, from a parking lot out on the airline. Tell me your surprise. Not really. Okay, then. Tell me why anyone would boost a Honda. For God's sake, a Honda? Look, Lou, I gotta get out of here. Talk to someone, look at someone who's not a cop. What the hell, it's almost 11. Buy your lunch? Praline connection, do the trick. You got it. 30 minutes? Show. You can be any place in New Orleans in 30 minutes. Sitting already over his second beer as I came in, Don pushed an envelope across the table to me. Documents inside tracked the black Honda, a rental car up until 13 months ago and 60,000 miles, then sold at auction. It had been taken off a lot outside an abandoned bowling alley and across from a tiny Chinese restaurant much favored by the Metairie lunchtime crowd. Hope it helps, Don said. A parade of 30 or more young people went by in the street outside, curiously silent for all their number and collective motion, as though the wraparound windows were soundproof or the whole thing on TV with the volume off. The effect was eerie, unsettling, like peering into another world. Half a block behind the others, two young men held aloft a banner. How long can we remain silent? You were saying, I told Don, how you're about to go postal. He shook his head and drank before he spoke. Sometimes I look around me in the squad room and I think, I'm all alone here. The rest aren't human any of them. But if they're not human, what are they? There's one part of me that more than anything wants civility back, Lou. People saying please and thank you, opening doors for one another, letting other cars go first, keeping quietly and politely to themselves. I don't know. Philip brought our food along with a fistful of hot sauces and bottles. I sprinkled clear crystal over my beans and rice. Another part just wants it all stopped. The crime, the killing, and, and that part doesn't really care much how. That part scares me. To hell, it says, with civility. To hell with individual rights, due process, equal protection under the law, constitution, democracy, civil rights. Nice ideas, folks. Really fine. You hold on to those, you hear? But right now, let's put them on the shelf where they belong and get on with real life. Let's just get the goddamn job done. 
of thought again how, because increasingly we're afraid to venture out and engage the world and having our playpens, toys like TVs and online computers that we believe connect us but instead render us ever more apart, how we've become a nation without culture and losing sense of community and culture irrevocably erodes the soul. So, there we were, two old farts singing the sad praise of yesterdays, one of them who carried a gun wanting people to be nice to one another again while authorities mowed down wrongdoers, the other who'd learn better than to carry one, smiling out of a black face, suspended forever between the anxieties and ambitions of two worlds. Don's face lifted, following something outside, beyond the glass. He rose, chair legs rasping back loudly on the cement floor. Hey, Dad, words evenly spaced as those set up on blocks. Danny, you okay? What? Hey, sure, what else I'd be? This is my friend Billy, Bobby, his friend said, tall and thin and sharp-edged as a shaft of Johnson grass. He wore a black silk suit over a T-shirt with tails out. The T-shirt started off white, but that had been some time back. I wish you'd let me know when you're going to be away, Danny. I thought we had an agreement. Just pick up the phone, you know? Hey, I meant to. I really did. Been real busy, though. Busy? Yeah, got a new job. Good one this time. Don looked at him, at his friend, then at me. Hellish long hours. Most nights I'm so beat it's all I can do to open up a can of chili and fall in bed. At least you have a place to sleep then. What? Oh, sure, sure I do. No problem. And money in my pocket, you bet. Just like I said it would be. Bobby said something to him that I didn't catch. Look, Dad, I gotta go, okay? I'll call, promise. Yeah. Yeah, sure you will. Take care, son. We watched him go out and turn the corner back up towards the quarter. Don drank from his abita. I sipped at my tea. He's not going to call, I said. Don put his empty bottle down. Not a chance in hell. He didn't ask where he was staying. He wouldn't have told me. Don picked up a piece of chicken and put it back down, wiped grease from his fingers. It's a lot worse than you know, Lou. Things generally are. I love him, Lou. I really love him. And there's not one damn thing I can do to help him or stop him. All I can do is stand by and watch it happen. He looked down at his fried chicken the way a witch doctor might peer into spilled fresh entrails. Signs and signals everywhere if he just knew how to read them. I speak to you, I think you understand, you know you made your son Joseph a dangerous man, boy, he's gone to town, bought himself a gun. This could happen to every mother's son. They were actually still there waiting, most of them anyway. When I took the corner fast and walked in, totally unprepared, no notes, no books, just sweaty clothes and a worried smile on my face. 
it had suddenly come to me on the streetcar back uptown that this was Monday and that Monday was class day. I'd already missed all Wednesday's classes and half of today's. One forty, I could just about make it. I just about did. Two ten on the classroom clock when I got there. Many hadn't unpacked books and papers. Some sat talking quietly. Sally Mara was reading, but not Malloy or Ulysses. She was reading The Old Man. Somehow I got through the hour. Somehow, talking about Finnegan's Wake at Swim Two Birds and Early Beckett, I managed to keep them mostly awake. Sally Mara was waiting for me outside the classroom afterwards. Have a few minutes, she asked. When I said I did, she fell in beside me, round face turned up as we walked. You'd look great with a beard, she said. We pushed our way through sluggish doors and started down the first half flight of stairs. Don't you think? I had one once. Woman I was living with kept trying to grab it to do dishes, thought it was a Brillo pad. Her smile broadened. You didn't tell us you were a writer, Mr. Griffin. Lots of things I don't admit to, Mrs. Mara, but somehow these nasty little secrets have a way of getting out. What are you working on now? For a moment, almost said, I'm trying to find my son. Nothing, I said instead. That's awful, Mrs. Mara said. Sad. Each year I feel the gap between myself and these young people widen, cracks taken over a floor as boards wear away. We don't live in the same world, hardly speak the same language. It's possible we never did. Though every year or so a face will tilt up out of some new mass of them, and for a moment, as a kind of electric arc passes between us, I'll recognize here is another. Something of that sense now with Sally Mara. Not really, I told her. There are probably too many books in the world already, and certainly too many second-rate writers. I don't believe you mean that. Again, that sudden smile. There had been times in my life I could have lived on that smile for months. I just wanted to thank you, Mr. Griffin. That's all. The course been fabulous, I mean, but finding your books, I think they're great, really great. She ducked her head. I just wanted you to know that. Then she was gone. But today, my dance card was full. Another form replaced hers in the doorway. Light from the office's narrow high window silhouetted his hair like some exotic plant on the wall behind. You remember me, Keith Leroy? Sure I do. Last name accented on the first syllable. The young man with woody woodpecker hair who'd run Tasty Deanut all but single-handedly for minimum wage. This way you work, huh? I nodded. I teach. Mmm, he said, looking around. This all yours? Pretty much. Good, that's good. What you teach? Literature, French, polyvoo and all that. Right. And literature? Novels, stories, essays, all the things people make up to try to understand and explain what we're doing here, what life's all about, why we choose the things we do. Mmm, he looked about. Always thought someday I might do this. Go this route, you know? Be a kick. 
you decide to, let me know and I'll do whatever I can to help you. Since I'm teaching here, I have some voice in who gets admitted, who gets financial aid, that sort of thing. He stood watching me. Really, man? Why would you want to do that for me? Hell if I knew. Thanks, he said after a moment. Maybe because I hadn't tried to help Laverne, hadn't been able to help Lelouette or my own son. Thank me after you decide and something comes of it. He nodded. Seemed quite settled in there. Neither of us spoke for a couple of minutes. So, he said. So. A few days ago, you were looking for Sean Delaney. That's still up? Till I find him, yeah. Figured. Well... Around seven this morning, my beeper goes off. It's Delaney on the other end, wondering when he could pick up his final check. I stalled him, told him maybe tomorrow. You got a number? I can call you then. I'll call you, he says. Right. He paused. How bad you want to talk to this Sean Delaney? His family asked me to find him. Family? Brother, actually, he's the one that takes care of them all. Sean's mother and some smaller kids. I used to have a brother, a couple of years younger than me, really smart. We all thought this kid could do anything he wants to, anything at all. One Saturday night, they shot him down in a parking lot outside Walmart. Took him for someone else, maybe, or just drove by and he was there. We never knew. He just turned 14. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, sure you are. Everyone is. Delaney do something? I don't think so, not yet. Bet you're thinking he hangs where he is. It's only a matter of time. I nodded. Good kid. I know. But he has that hitch in his eye, looking for something hungry. I nodded again. Wondering if I ever came across anyone, any age, who understood people the way Keith Leroy did. Delaney told me he had to have the money. Don't hold your breath, I said, as anyway, it's only a few dollars. He said, hole he's in, a few dollars could just make a difference. You think he'll call back? Keith Leroy grinned. You free around six o'clock, Mr. Griffin? I could be. Good. Then you just might want to come along with me to the Funky Butt Bar, Mid-City. Have a sandwich, maybe a couple of beers, see what happens. Someone at the office door cleared his throat. I'll come by where you stay, Keith Leroy said. Pick you up. That okay? Round five, five-thirty. He nodded to me, then to my newest visitor, who stepped back out of the door to let him pass. One last dance on my card. This time, strictly fo-fo, a foxtrot, maybe. Dean Treadwell wondered aloud just how serious was my dedication to teaching to the university. He knew that I had a drinking problem, of course, and raised his hand when I started to protest. He understood, too, that my creative work, my own novels and stories, were of primary importance to me. He'd read and admired several of them himself at his wife's urging, and devoted as it was to liberal arts, the university was happy to make certain concessions and accommodations. But... Now, 
Treadwell's as fine a man as you're likely to pluck out from among these academic brambles and thickets. I'm sure he resented giving the lecture as much as I did receiving it. So when he was done, I said, You're absolutely right, and handed over the office key. You have to hold on to the lock and push in on it to get it open. There's probably a trick to getting the computer to work, too, but I haven't found it. The students pretty much take care of themselves. Mr. Griffin, he said, Lewis, please, wait. But I was in the doorway now, canceling out the rest of my dance card. I have been, I said, waiting for far too long. Unemployed, I lay on the couch belching beans and crystal hot sauce waiting for Keith Leroy. Bat kept strafing the room. He'd dash in, jump on a rug, and ride it across the floor till they crashed into wall or furniture, then retreat. I'd fed him, so this had to be some kind of higher complaint. Maybe he was afraid I'd no longer be able to provide for him in the manner to which he'd become accustomed. I drifted as though on a raft, asleep, awake, and somewhere in between. You come along or not, Keith Leroy said above me. I looked up for a moment, disoriented. Let myself in since you wouldn't answer the door. Hand got sore standing out there knocking. I swung my legs over the side of the couch and sat up. So, you coming with? I came with. Twenty minutes later, we were seated at a corner table near the door, me with coffee, looking up at the name painted in block white letters on the window outside, Funky Bud, Leroy with draft beer, checking out two young ladies drinking margaritas at the bar. The bartender waitress cook, obviously a woman of many talents, dropped hamburgers on the table before us and stalked back towards the bar. Leroy downed his hamburger in four truly impressive bites. I had just started mine when he said, There's your man, and stood. He walked over to meet him. Neither made any move towards a handshake, anything like that, of course. They stood talking. Delaney's eyes cut towards me. It's not something you see too often on TV or in the movies. The detective standing up with grease dribbling down his chin to apprehend a suspect. A starter for them just as Delaney turned to leave. Leroy's hand shot out and clamped on his upper arm. That was when Armatine Rauch stepped through the door. Boys with me, he said. Leroy looked once into Rauch's eyes and let go of Delaney, stepping back, arms half raised, palms out. Rauch's eyes turned to me. We stood in mutual regard, no expression on our faces, absolute quiet in the bar. A solid, compact little blue steel twenty-two appeared. I sure as hell hope there ain't no goddamn heroes here. 
The gun gave him confidence. Now his eyes could let go of mine. They swept the room. Sean Delaney still afraid to move. Keith Leroy back against the wall. The girls at the bar swiveled about to watch. Skirts hiked high on their legs. Had about all I can stomach of heroes. He smiled, let the gun fall down along his leg. Man, get a drink around here. Show sure you can, darling. Rouch whirled about and into the baseball bat that landed expertly just below the supraorbital ridge at the bridge of his nose. He went back and down like a door slammed off its hinges, just as inert. Leroy lowered his hands. I picked up the twenty-two, which slid towards me when Rouch fell. The girls swiveled back to the bar to slurp up the dregs of their drinks through pastel straws. Damn sons of bitches think they come in here and mess with my customers. Don't never learn, she laughed to herself. Learned him anyways. As I said, a lady of many talents, bartender, waitress, cook, enforcer. She stepped behind the bar again and announced, Last call, ladies and gentlemen. Might want to order doubles. Cops be here soon enough. I knew just what she meant. All kinds of undesirables dropping by this afternoon. Don went on, talking now to Armentine Rouch. We're willing to overlook a lot of things, have to. All that goes on around here, limited manpower we have. Don shook his head and leaned closer over the table. Two men in the same business, you might as well say, comparing notes. Bodies are different, Rouch. We don't get away with overlooking those for long. Mayor's office, citizens' groups, the paper, TV shows calling us America's murder capital and pushing for federal investigations. Everybody's got a list. And when those lists start getting long, they just naturally get louder and louder about it. Hey, you want some coffee or something? A cigarette? Rouch shook his head. You sure? Okay, you just let me know if you change your mind. So what you think? You think you might be able to help me with this? Rouch smiled. Your men took my wallet. Sorry, regulations. My lawyer's card is in there. Maybe he'll be able to help you. Don nodded. You're probably right. Lawyers usually do bless them. Officer DeSalle? Yes, sir. Will you please go check and be sure this man's lawyer has been notified? We all sat looking at one another until DeSalle returned. Counselor Silberman, uh, that's Mr. Rouch's lawyer, Lieutenant, is currently unavailable. Seems he's on vacation in Barbados for a couple of weeks. Well, Don said, that does present us something of a problem, doesn't it, Rouch? We can petition for a court-appointed lawyer, some kid just out of law school, or some burnt-out case carrying twice as many cases as anyone could possibly handle. Or you can hold me over till such time as my own attorney becomes available. Good take on the situation, Don said. Thank you. Listen, you mind waiting here a few minutes? A couple of things I've got to take care of. DeSal and I followed Don out of the room. We really try calling that shitbag's lawyer, he asked. This time I didn't make it up, didn't have to. Guys really in Barbados. 
Not much room to maneuver there, then. Not much. So now I guess we hit number two and hope he really does try harder. See if we can jumpstart him. Sean Delaney was in the next room, seated behind a high desk-sized table. They'd put a canned Coke, a cellophane-shrouded sandwich from a vending machine, a pack of Salem's, and a big lighter on the table. Delaney was drinking the Coke. Don introduced himself and asked if there was anything else he could get. You want another Coke, maybe? Some ice? A slice of pizza? No. Look, son, I'm not supposed to. My superiors find out I'm in for major ass-chewing, but I feel like I have to tell you this. Your buddy in there rolled over on you, told us about the burglaries and all the rest, name, dates, details, what you did with the take. But, but I don't know about any of that. Well, sure you don't, but... Don spread his hands imploringly. But I don't know anything, Delaney said. I'd help you if I could. I'm sure you would. So, for a start, why don't you tell us why you killed Dow Anthony Payne? What? Come on, Delaney. Rouch told us all about it. How he begged you to stop, let it go, but you wouldn't. Out of control, he said. Totally O.O.C. Wait a minute, okay? I didn't kill anyone. You think that matters, Sean? The meat is ticking. I gotta draw a line at the bottom, add it all up, column A, column B. That's what the city and the citizens pay me for. Your cousin's going down. Up to you whether he drags you down with him or not. And my wife's expecting me home for dinner. Look, I do get to make a phone call, right? Delaney said. Don looked surprised. Man hasn't had his call yet. How'd that happen? I'm not sure, sir. I'll look into it. You do that, detective. But first, you take Mr. Delaney into my office and let him use my phone. Yes, sir. Then you call County and me at home to let me know it's all been taken care of. Hot roast tonight. Mm. Should be coming out of the oven just about now. I don't want to miss it. DeSalle and Sean Delaney left. Pot roast, huh? I said. And a wife. Not bad, huh? Thank you for listening. And don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.